Oh, it's going to be a good conversation. Welcome back. Welcome back. Jordana Green here, along with my wonderful co-host, Kate, joining us once again on C-Speak Minnesota, the language of executives. Uh, Kate, I'm so excited about our next guest here on the podcast. I know you are too. I am too. Our listeners are going to love it and be so moved by this. This will be great. Awesome. Uh, Well, let me get right to it. Let me introduce some former Minnesota Vikings tight end Kyle Rudolph. Now, Kyle has a special connection with families at M Health Fairview University of Minnesota Masonic Children's Hospital. So you might be thinking, football star, Masonic Children's Hospital, what's the deal here? Well, he has dedicated years of service and philanthropy in support of the healing and research mission of the hospital. Kyle and Fairview Health Services President CEO James Hereford. Now, by the way, James has been on this podcast before, so we're double dipping here with James. So I'm so glad that he offered us the time again. Um, They're here today to discuss this deeply personal, significant work in our community and in their lives. And of course, you guys know KK Kelly, PNC Regional President. Of course, she's our co-host always. Um, Again, just really excited about about all of them, but really special this, this month, Kate. Yeah, it'll be great. I love their story. So I'm looking forward to it. All right, Kyle, we're going to start with you now, Kyle. We know you're in New York. Yes, we're disappointed about all that. There's another time to talk football. <laughs> but um, we're, I want to know how this all began. How did philanthropy become so important to you? And then it's sort of a double feature here. How did you get started at M Health Fairview, the Masonic Children's Hospital? You know, we know you first visited. We've all followed your career. We know you first visited during a Vikings huddle event. That was back in 2011. That was your rookie year. But really, it's been it's been 10 years. So tell us about this connection. So a little bit about my family and our background. I, I grew up the oldest of of a, three siblings. Uh, my younger brother, who's 15 months younger than me, was born with cancer. He had neuroblastoma. Uh, he was rushed immediately from the hospital where he was born at to Cincinnati Children's Hospital, uh, trying to figure out you know, why he was having problems breathing, why he was going into seizures. Uh, and then they found the tumor, uh, you know, removed the tumor. He had about 12 months of chemo. And, uh, you know, fortunately for us, my younger brother just turned 30 in February and, and he was able to live pretty much a, a normal childhood after that experience, the first 12, 18 months of his life. So for, for me and for our family, my parents constantly preached to us the importance of giving back. And uh, both my parents worked full time. You know, we certainly didn't have everything that we wanted. Uh, but they made sure we had everything that we needed. And with that, they were always reminding us that that's not the case for everyone. Not everyone gets everything they need. And there are people that are less fortunate than we are. And and that kind of instilled philanthropy in me from an early age. And then, you know, as I got older into high school, college at Notre Dame, and then, you know, when I was drafted by the Vikings, each step of the way, your platform gets bigger and more impactful. So, you know, you mentioned my first Vikings huddle in 2011 at the University of Minnesota Masonic Children's Hospital. Uh, You know, the Vikings and Masonic have had a relationship for over 40 years. And, you know, for me and my family's background, pediatrics and pediatric cancer specifically was something that I was very passionate about. So I participated in my first huddle, got to know people at the hospital, got to know some of the patients, the doctors, the nurses. And I felt like each and every time 
I visited and then when my wife started going, we just drew closer and closer to everyone in that building. And each time we, we left Masonic, we asked ourselves, how can we do more? How can we do more? And that was kind of how our relationship has evolved over the last 10 years. Beautiful. That's great. Yeah. Beautiful. You know, James, if we could ask you, um, beyond his generous financial support, what does it mean when a prominent pro uh, professional athlete like Kyle gets involved in the hospital community? Does it bring new people into the conversation? Does it help research or the healthcare goals? First, let me thank Kyle because uh, of he and his family's generosities. It has made a huge difference. And I think it makes a difference on multiple levels. Obviously, you know, with somebody of his uh, stature and standing in the, in the community gets involved with an organization like uh, Masonic Children's, it has its own gravitational pull. People see that. They uh, are attracted to it. They uh, want to be a part of it because he's a part of it. So, you know, there is certainly a uh, using that platform as, as Kyle referenced. It's also about, I'll go all the way to the other end of the spectrum. These are kids through no fault of their own who are going through incredibly extreme uh, situations. And the fact that somebody like Kyle and his wife uh, and others will spend time there and honor them and talk to them and uh, make them feel like there's uh, some sense of specialness uh, in their lives also makes a huge difference, right? It, 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 uh, I don't know that we could ever fully account for the impact that that can have. And then of course there's, you know, we're living in a, a, an amazing time, right? This is a, you know, a bioscience revolution is taking place and it's happening in labs uh, at the University of Minnesota and it's happening all over uh, the country and the world, but it's equivalent to, you know, the PC revolution in the early nineties. We are seeing a transformation of medicine and the uh, ability to fund that transformation happens in large part because of philanthropy. It's not all NIH. Right. Because, you know, the very established researchers are the ones who get uh, scored for the, you know, the large NIH grants. But you have to work your way up to that. And so as researchers, uh, we're constantly uh, looking for avenues to support junior faculty uh, and innovative research that hasn't yet got to the level of uh, breakthrough or potential breakthrough that other more major uh, funders would be interested in. So the kind of philanthropic efforts that Kyle uh, and his wife have been involved in are absolutely essential to funding that kind of research uh, that really help us, I think, accelerate that uh, bioscience revolution. But it's not a revolution for its own sake. It's so that uh, people like Kyle's brother never have to go through what they went through, that we can get far upstream on that, prevent those kinds of cancers. Uh, that's the promise of where we're at. So what Kyle has done and his family has done uh, is truly special and meaningful on multiple levels. Oh, that's, that's really helpful and interesting and just how it all works together. Well, thank you, James. Um, well, Kyle, um, for years, you've devoted an incredible amount of time, obviously love and energy to this hospital and the community around it. Your wife, Jordan, said in your Dear Kyle video, this place has our hearts. We'll put a link of that video when we post this podcast so everybody can see it. I, it, I, I watched it. I know my colleagues did. 
and all of us who just emailed each other immediately, like we are tearing up, you know, it's crying, just, crying. I, I mean, I watched it. I mean, weeping openly in front of my computer. I couldn't even control myself. Oy. <laughs> so anyway, we will be sure to post that so everybody can put that together with us. Um, can you describe what the hospital and its families mean to you? I think the biggest thing, you know, over the years, spending time at the hospital, spending time, whether it's in the lobby with patients, in our end zone with patients, uh, or up at the bedsides, when I spend time there and I see young boys and girls, uh, I see my younger brother. Um, when I see their brothers and sisters who, um, you know, as James mentioned, th these kids, to no fault of their own, their lives were just uprooted and their childhood was immediately taken from them. And at times that involves a sibling as well. Uh, that sibling did nothing wrong, did nothing to bring this on, but yet now he or she is being drugged in and out of, of the hospital for daily appointments, weekly appointments, monthly appointments. Uh, so I see myself in those brothers and sisters. And then finally, and the parents that are sitting there bedside next to their son or daughter who they would do anything for to, to, to get them out of that situation. I see my parents and yeah, I was 15 months old when my brother was born and, and I have no recollection of, of anything that we went through the first year, 18 months of his life. But I've heard countless stories, whether it be from my parents, from my grandparents, from aunts and uncles who, you know, it takes a village to get through something like this. And, you know, it was me getting shipped off to, to grandma and grandpa's house or an aunt and uncle picking me up early from the hospital. Cause as a 15 month old, all I did was get in the way and I'm unplugging things that I shouldn't unplug and, and touching things and pushing buttons that I shouldn't push. Uh, so when I see the families at the hospital, I, I see my family and I know what my family went through. And I felt like that just brought us closer and closer to these patients and their families. And then over time, unfortunately, you know, when we go for Halloween as our first holiday huddle, and then we come back a month later and we're there for Thanksgiving, and then we come back a month later and we're there for Christmas, you're seeing some of the same families two and three times. And you get to know them really well because, you know, I'm visiting now multiple times and you know, the first visits kind of get to know each other. You know, you ask the kid if it's Halloween, you know, what are you dressing up for as Halloween? What are your favorite candies? You ask them things that, you know, kids want to answer. Uh, and then the second time you come back, now you feel like you already have a relationship and now you start to get to know one another. So, you know, for us, we feel like over the last decade, we've formed so many relationships and bonds with patients and families because we have spent significant amount of time with them and, and gotten to know them. And that's, you know, when my wife said this, this community has our heart, you know, it, it's the community as a whole, but specifically it's, it's the patients and their families at Masonic Children's Hospital. When I think of this, the boy in your video, when you t share that story and how you made his wish come true, that um, was wonderful. That was so beautiful, Kyle. And I, I tell you, I, I just want to interject here. This is deeply personal for me. I, I know, Kyle, you don't know this, nor does James, but I was diagnosed with leukemia in October. And my leukemia is a form of pediatric leukemia. Yes, I'm a grown woman with a form of pediatric leukemia. My kids always make fun of me that I am uh, immature. So immature, I had a, a kid's cancer. But, okay. but, you know, when you talk about the families being dragged in and out, you know, I had to drag in my kids or teenagers, but, you know, I my, my, see my kids, 
getting dragged in and out of the hospital and all of these treatments. And even when I, you know, go back to the hospital, I try to bring treats for the nurses. And if I get presents, you know, send it over to the pediatric ward. And uh, I can't wait to be part of your, your army at Masonic once I'm out of treatment. I have one more round of chemo and then I'm going to be totally fine. So um, I, I can't wait to be on the other side, on the volunteer philanthropy side, once I'm, I'm no longer a patient. So this is really um, an inspiring podcast, even for me to be a part of. So thank you both. I, I really appreciate everything that you're doing. Uh, James, if I could bring it back to you, I, I do want to talk about that hope and those, the healing for the families that Kyle uh, was mentioning. You know, it, it's the hospital's mission to do that, to hope and healing to families. They serve one child at a time. And I mean, my gosh, you know, Kyle's doing a great job going one child at a time, he and his family. But, but let's talk sort of big picture here. Uh, let's talk research, education on behalf of all. So share with us, you know, sort of big picture goals for M Health Fairview and what they're doing for Minnesota and what they're doing for, for the nation and even globally. Jordana, thank you first for sharing your diagnosis. I know that's that's difficult, and it's a great illustration of how um, health and healthcare uh, impact uh, our communities. Uh, almost all of us uh, uh, at some point. the um, The kind of research, and especially uh, because we're uh, an NCI designated cancer center, because of you know the the depth of uh, resources. Uh, both specifically clinically, but also uh, whether it's computational biology or, or other aspects uh, that the university can bring to bear on this. It gives us an ability, I think, to um, kind of change the nature of uh, the game, right? The game right now is largely played by, we're terrific in healthcare at being ready for people to receive them when they uh, have that diagnosis. That's been the healthcare model for the last hundred years, but that model has to change. We all know, you know, it's not that we shouldn't be there. Of course we should, but that shouldn't be the only way that we interact with uh, the communities that we're charged to serve. And that means being able to get upstream. And that's uh, in large part about advancing research so that we have the ability to uh, either with earlier detection uh, so that cancers are more treatable or other uh, forms of disease are more treatable or in prevention, which is the ideal that we never let these diseases manifest themselves at all. That that's what the potential of the, uh, the kind of research that we are doing uh, now is. And, you know, we have specialists at uh, Masonic who, you know, are one of a small handful of people in the world who are specialists in their particular aspect, who have gone very deep in their particular clinical aspect of care. Um, that's you know part of the contribution that an academic medical center makes, uh, not just to the community and to Minnesota. Obviously, there's a, a very direct relationship there, but regionally, nationally, and even you know on a global basis. But what I really get excited about is our ability to get upstream, to be a, to interact with the community in ways that might prevent that child from ever getting to Masonic. That would be the biggest victory. And it's one of those things that, you know, we'll never know. Uh, we won't see the event because you can't, there's no counterfactual there. But we'll know that the science has allowed us uh, to reduce the uh, frequency of particular diseases. And that's got to be, you know, I think our end goal, our end outcome. That's what it really means. Uh, caring for one child at a time would be all the way upstream, preventing. 
right? Early detection, those sorts of things. And that's why, again, the work that uh, Kyle and his family have done have just, uh, it means so much because of the kinds of research dollars that it's able to provide for uh, our organization uh, that does allow us to do, I think, much broader, more innovative kinds of research that normally wouldn't attract NIH dollars. James, you know, as I listen to you, I, I'm thinking about the scope and the influence of your position, um, just amazing. But what's the favorite part of your job? I'm curious. <laughs> um, well, so I'm incredibly lucky. Uh, you know, I get, I love what I do. Uh, I love the people I get to do it with. Uh, it is uh, an amazing uh, honor really to, to be able to come to work every day. And, you know, whether it's groundbreaking research scientists or it's that nurse on the ward who sees all of these patients and brings positive energy, technical competency, but, you know, I always think of it as care and caring. Uh, yeah. It's the combination of the technical knowledge and the love, quite frankly, that they pour into this. It is such a privilege. So uh, yeah, I once had a, a friend, his uh, wife was an ED doc and I was talking to her at a, a party and she's, you know, I was asking her how it going. She goes, look, I have a 90-10 job. I said, a 90-10 job? She says, 90% of the time, you don't have to pay me to do it. And 10% of the time, there's not enough money in the world. I love that. <laughs> that is a pretty good ratio. Uh, and I think I might be above that. I think I'm above the 90-10 ratio in terms of, you know, it is a privilege to do what I do uh, and see what the impact can be on uh, individuals each and every day and to see the individuals who, uh, and help support the individuals who have that impact on people. Oh, that's terrific. Thank you. I can hear the passion. And Kate, I love when we have just such super smart people like James and Kyle, and, and they have passion for their jobs, because that's how we know you're going to pour your heart and soul into it, James. And I'm grateful you are running MHealth Fairview. So I'm just, uh, I love that passion. And, and I hear that passion too, when we hear from Kyle. Yes, of course, about football, but really about this volunteerism. And I'm sure you feel 90-10 about your job too, Kyle, but the volunteering um, is not your job. You don't get paid for that. So um, share with us how that, how, how, just some advice for other people, maybe, you know, doing something outside of their comfort zone, you know, volunteerism, again, not your gig. You, you don't make money that way. But why is it important for, for other people to take on something that's out of their zone? Well, Jordana, I tell people all the time, I almost feel selfish at times leaving the hospital because, you know, we're supposed to be there as the professional football player for the patients, for their families, to, to give them a five, 10 minute break from the harsh reality that they're facing on a daily basis. Yet, I feel like every single time I hop in the car with my wife and we're driving out of there, I'm just like, I feel like I got so much out of it. I feel like I get so much more from these patients and from their families than they could possibly get from me. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm supposed to be the one volunteering and helping them out. Yet here they are uh, influencing and impacting my life on a far larger scale than I feel like I could ever influence their life. And, you know, you said it perfectly when you talked about getting outside your comfort zone. Um, you know, I know for me, over the course of the last 10 years, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, how do you do it? 
how, how do you get close to these kids and to their families when at times you don't know what the end situation could be? You don't know if that kid's going to make it till tomorrow, till next year or, or two years down the road. And, you know, for us, it's just, and I feel like I really got this mentality from my parents and from my family uh, growing up after, you know, my brother's diagnosis and treatment and everything that we went through. And I mean, you just, you truly do live and cherish each and every day. So for us, whether it's five, 10, 15 minutes that I get to be in their room, uh, spend time with them, talk to them about things that they like. And, and sometimes our best conversations, I remember we visited a, a little girl a couple of years back and she could have cared less about the Minnesota Vikings, just had absolutely nothing to do with the Minnesota Vikings, but her mom liked the Vikings. So therefore she wanted us to come in and say hi to her mom. And she had all of her stuffed animals and baby dolls like laid out on the couch. Mom was confined to a chair because the babies and the baby dolls got the couch. And, and we talked about her babies and her baby dolls and all this stuff for 10, 15 minutes. And I say the biggest thing that I always leave the hospital with is perspective, um, you know, especially in season. You know, a lot of our visits happen on Tuesdays. So it's after a big win and, and you're so fired up about a, a big game that you've had or it's after a tough loss and you feel like the world's crumbling on top of you. And, and how are we ever going to get back and win another? And I go in those doors and I spend time with those patients. And when I walk out of there, you just gain so much perspective as to what's really important in life. It's certainly not what I'm doing on the field. Uh, although it may be important to some people, that's not what's ultimately important in life. And my perspective really changed once I had kids of my own. So for five, six years, I was doing this uh, just as a single guy Then my wife and I were married. And then we had our kids. And in the first year that that we had kids and I stepped foot in the hospital and I spent time with parents, uh, everyone sees me as this big, strong football player. And, you know, he's a pretty tough guy. He's a football player, you know, plays 16 games on Sundays during the fall. And I look at people like my parents, like the parents of the patients at the hospital. And I don't know that I'd be strong enough to, to be in the situation that they're in. And, and I couldn't imagine what it's like to take one of my kids into the hospital with one of these diagnoses or, or the uncertainty of not knowing what's going on. Uh, so I just, I, you know, I have so much admiration and respect for the parents and how strong they are for the kids because the kids don't know any different. They look to mom and dad sitting over on the couch and say, okay, if mom and dad are scared, then, then, you know, something's wrong and, and I'll be scared. Yet these parents are just so strong for their sons and daughters. And I tell people all the time, you know, I, I'm not sure that even as big and strong as I am, uh, I'd be able to hold up like some of these parents do. You're awesome, Kyle. That's that. That's, yeah. that's awesome. That's I think that I think the same thing, because those kids go through the same treatment I'm going through. And I'm like, thank I say, thank God it's me. Thank God I don't have to bring one of my children in here because I I can't imagine uh, what these parents are going through. So thank you for acknowledging their strength, because. Uh, they are the glue. They are the source. It's it's really amazing. And thank you for supporting them. It's really incredible what you're doing. Our pleasure. Um, and thank you both for this conversation. I, you know, Kate and I could ask you questions all day, but I understand people have meetings and, you know, hospitals to run, football uh, organizations <laughs> to meet with. Um, is there anything else that either of you would like to add? I would just like to, again, 
give my thanks to Kyle and his family. Uh, what they do is so important and so tremendous. And uh, to wish you the best of best of luck. And you know, hopefully you're all, you'll be back in Minnesota a lot. Yeah, Minnesota is always going to be home for us. So we'll spend a little bit of time in the fall in New York. And you know, I, I'm back and forth right now as we're in the middle of OTAs, but. My family's still in Minnesota. I was just back over the holiday weekend, spending time in Minnesota. And uh, as we mentioned before, that, that place has our heart and, and that will always be home to us. Uh, so, you know, certainly I feel like I have a lot of football left in me and, and hopefully play for a few more years. But when it's all said and done, we'll certainly be in Minnesota full time. Well, we're glad to hear that you are a service to the community and uh, James and Kyle, I just want to thank you so much for this incredible conversation. Kate, I'm tearing up a little bit. I, was so I know it was very inspiring. I was so impressed, you know, perspective. I love that word, Kyle. And, um, and just for both of you, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Kyle, James, I just am uh, in awe of how you're each using your platforms to really make such a positive difference. And I think that's just really inspiring. So thank you very much. We so are so grateful for you joining us today. My pleasure. Thank, thank you. Before we let our listeners go, I want them to check out the resources to support M Health Fairview, to support Kyle, um, mhealthfairview.org. You can check them out on Facebook at UMN Children's, Instagram, UMN Children's, Twitter, UMN Children's. <laughs> Follow Kate at Kate T. Kelly on Twitter and me, Jordana, at Jordana Verde on Instagram. Kyle, uh, any uh, handles that we need to throw in for you? At Kyle Rudolph. It's pretty simple. It's pretty <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Uh, and again, you can always find C Speak Minnesota presented by PNC Bank wherever you get podcasts. Kate, another fabulous month. And Kate Kelly and I will see you next month. Thank you for joining.